Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Jeff Lucas. My wife Kay and I were watching a film just the other night. It was shot in the 80s. It was a downtown New York scene that we were pondering, wondering why everything looks so very different. Of course, it was in the 80s when a fashion demon roamed the earth. I myself had a perm back then instead of the shrinking peninsula that I am now sporting. But there was something different, but we couldn't put our finger on it. And then we realized people were walking down the street looking around. They didn't have their smartphones in their hands. They weren't staring down, distracted. They were actually looking around at life. Tonight, here on Lucas on Life, let's think about technology. Is it mastering us or are we masters of it? Technology. The message that popped up on my laptop screen seemed innocuous enough, announcing that it was time for my software to be updated. A single mouse click would launch the procedure. Usually, I pause before performing this kind of techno task and ensure that my precious data is safe by backing it up. But that day, I was working on about 10 projects all at once, multitasking. Without thinking, I clicked the mouse. Big mistake. Two hours later, I was left holding a laptop that was damaged beyond repair, my hard drive obliterated, my data wiped out, book manuscripts, accounts, emails, they were all vaporized in that moment. I wish I could report that I'd responded to this crisis with quiet repose, affirming that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Instead, I believe that my screen was overheard on Jupiter. I spent three days with what appeared to be a 12-year-old so-called genius who valiantly tried to help me. I won't name the computer company. That would be quite wrong. Besides, I like the design of the piece of fruit that adorns my laptop, even if it's now only useful as a doorstop. A few days later, I popped into a bathroom in the motorway services and, having washed my hands, I stood for 30 seconds with my hands outstretched in a worshipful position, waiting for the hot air to dry them. And then the truth dawned. I was actually waiting in vain for a vending machine to dry my hands. Passers-by were surely bemused by the chap who seemed lost in adoration before a silver box that dispensed contraceptives and breath mints. Awkward. Both of these episodes happened because I was multitasking. Texting while I was walking into said motorway toilets, I had paused my texting to answer a call, and then I got an email. Focused, I most certainly had not been. Unfocused and distracted by technology is what most of us are. Allegedly, most people who use a tablet, such as an iPad, do so while watching TV. Half of tablet users will visit social networking sites while in front of the goggle box. Two-thirds will check their emails, and most will be browsing other sites and all while watching television. According to one academic, we're living in the age of infomania. 
Armed with a smartphone that also serves as a camera, calculator, stock market scoreboard, web browser, email inbox, gaming console, appointment calendar, voice recorder, guitar tuner, weather forecaster, GPS, texter, tweeter, Facebook updater, music player and torch. Grief, I'm out of breath. The result of this is we're constantly multitasking. While having lunch with friends, we surreptitiously check to see what our other friends are doing and even post photographs of the cheese and pickle sandwich that we're snacking on so that the universe can stand amazed in awe and wonder. Although we think we're doing several things at once, multitasking is a powerful and possibly diabolical illusion. Earl Miller, a neuroscientist and one of the world's experts on divided attention, says that our brains are not wired to multitask well. When people think they're multitasking, they're actually just switching from one task to another very rapidly. And every time they do, there's a cognitive cost, says Earl. According to a study at the University of Sussex, constant multitasking actually damages our brains. They found out that people who regularly engage in multitasking have lower brain density in the region of their brain responsible for empathy, cognitive control, and emotional control. Other studies have found that multitasking reduces our productivity by 40%. So, how do we handle technology? Well, let's turn things off. I'll come back to this later, but let's turn off our phones once in a while, turn off browser notifications, turn off email notifications. We can attend to all of those things later. We don't always need them right now. Perhaps we should build technology breaks into our schedules, both at work and at home. To be the most beneficial, these should be for a minimum period of one to three hours at a time. That enables us to engage with people or tasks in deeper and different ways. It's also recommended that we should avoid all screens, which stimulate far more than they relax, for the first and last hour of the day, so that we can begin and end our days with uncluttered focus. Oops, my phone just beeped, interrupting this broadcast and demanding my instant attention. And although it takes the greatest effort, I've made a decision. It can wait. A challenge that we all face, managing technology. Where would I be without Brenda? Brenda, she's in her mid-30s. She has the shrill voice of a permanently irritated headmistress. And we're now having a relationship, I confess. Brenda is a source of special comfort to me late at night when I'm driving alone because she has a doctorate in geography. Specifically, she has committed every street, road, lane and motorway in Britain to memory. She is the voice inside the GPS inside my phone. My only criticism of Brenda is that she seems emotionally repressed. I'd like her to clap, cheer and offer warm congratulations when I arrive somewhere successfully but her flat, monotone voice just coldly announces that I have now reached my destination. And she says nothing more. Of course, she is just an app. I don't introduce her to my friends. Brenda is one of the many applications that surround me, that tell me what to do each day, that provide the telephone numbers of everybody that I've met since birth. And then there's Larry 
I mean, my laptop, who allows me to check the size of my overdraft, receive 300 emails daily, and then record this show. But my marriages to my machines have not been entirely happy. I brought a stack of devices that were supposed to save me time, but I haven't found the time to actually read the instructions so that they might save me time. And then once, I accidentally poured the contents of a boiling kettle into my laptop, which literally screamed and gave up the ghost, taking a million vital details of my life to a hot, watery grave. And through a series of thoughtless keystrokes, once I managed to format the hard drive on another laptop. For those listeners unfamiliar with this jargon, this is the high-tech equivalent of opening the top of one's head, removing one's brain and lobbing it into a rubbish bin. The computer was stunned when I told it to kill itself. Are you sure? It pleaded. Presumably brainless myself, I told it that yes, I was certain. Once again, it was goodbye to another five years of diaries, accounts, sermons, and well, just everything. When I realized what I had done, I was rather alarmed. But there is another more subtle peril in being hemmed in by technology. Technology exists for one life purpose, and that is to serve me. Technology lives and hums only for my comfort, efficiency, information, and direction. I give tech nothing except input, so that technology provides appendages that are bolted onto me solely to improve my lot, my life. I am their Lord. And when they become obsolete, which seems to happen about 30 minutes after I bought them, I will forsake them without a thought or shed a tear for a flashier but equally temporary gizmo. The danger of all of this is that I can start to treat the people around me in the same way that I treat technology, failing to see beyond the horizon of my own selfish wants and needs. I begin to view my marriage, my friendships and my church all as entities that exist primarily for my benefit. People can become mere things as we embrace or reject according to their ability to serve us. How many human beings have I encountered today without ever really seeing them? Those who spend their lives meeting people are particularly prone to this. The hospital doc who refers to the broken leg in cubicle five has lost sight of the person and only sees an ailment to cure. Insisting that we refer to people with disabilities appropriately is about far more than using politically correct language. Rather, it is honouring the basic right that we all share to be viewed as fully human. But I have learned a useful lesson from my technology too. When shutting my laptop down, I methodically close all the various programs that I've used one by one. I'm learning to do something similar with my mind, especially when I'm about to meet people. If my brain is cluttered with the debris of too many journeys, then I'll fail to focus and give my fullest attention to those that I meet. They'll just be one of the many windows that I am keeping open. The folly of the multitasking that I mentioned earlier in the program. We can give others the wondrous gift of our fullest attention. To do so confirms the truth that each one of us is a unique, fascinating creation worth more than a passing glance. Someone recently told me about how God used me to help them come to faith at a Christian conference, and I wondered which sermon it was that I'd preached, but my speculations were wrong. 
Apparently, this person came up to me as I was walking to a seminar, and I slowed down and chatted. My willingness to pause was sufficiently impressive to bring them to a decision about Christ. Now, I share this without a hint of smugness because I'm painfully aware that there have probably been too many times when my rushing, my hurry, meant that I was insensitive and unwilling to be interrupted. On this occasion, by God's grace, I got it right. So, let's think about the way technology is used. Are we using it? Or is it using us? Technology. Are we mastering it? I spoke earlier in the show about that familiar and vaguely depressing site where a culture glued stuck firmly to our smartphones. Wander through any airport, sit on any train, and you'll see hundreds of people slavishly ignoring everyone else, transfixed instead by the small screen that they clutch in their hands. Whoever thought that our gods would be small handheld devices before which we kneel, figuratively speaking, in humble homage? Let's do ourselves a favor and dethrone the technology of God. Let's do ourselves a favor and dethrone that technology God. One way, as I end tonight's program, might be just to turn off our phones for a while, because that little screen might be sucking the life out of us. And also, the world doesn't need to know that we like porridge for breakfast. They don't care. When we're missing out on finding out about people, we're missing out on people. And then life was meant to be a conversation, not a newsflash. Twitter is most often about declaration rather than conversation. But life was never meant to be a series of pithy pronouncements made in 140 characters or less. Don't issue a press release. Have a real chat instead. Finally, let's know that your phone won't feel hurt if you ignore it. Take control. Be the boss. Being just a machine, it won't get wounded, feel neglected, or withdraw into a sulky silence, not talking to you for three days. Believe me, our technology... It'll be ready to talk with us again whenever we are. So have a great and perhaps occasionally technology-free week. And also, thanks for emails coming in as I've requested input about themes for future shows. I'd love to hear from you. See you next time. Lucas on Life.